you have to own your own time if you if you want to live a life of freedom and that's really possible i would i would say you know it's it's the thing that i found and i know beyond doubt that it's real um and it's the most worthwhile thing that there is it's the one thing that that really transcends all of this field of change and if you really want to be able to live freely if you really want to understand what freedom is then it's really it's from that state where that awareness really matures welcome to a curious yogi podcast i'm your host bobby and these are my conversations with sadaks satsangis and other spiritual seekers Join us as we discuss and discover what it means to live a spiritual life and walk the yogi's path. Each week you'll gain insights into your own practice as we share the stories and wisdom of those that walk the path with us. I'm so delighted you're here. Now let's get curious. Welcome back to the show, Curious Yogis and Seekers. Find a seat. Have I got a deep episode for you. This week, I explore the edges of consciousness with wise thinker and thoughtful meditator Mahabir, who comes to us from his home in India. I'm totally serious when I say we unpack a lot in this episode. We touch on getting control over your own time and being financially independent, what happens in meditation and the nature of unchanging awareness. Mahabir breaks down Sankalp and Vikalp as written in the spiritual scriptures, loop of uncertainty and the mind's need for clarity, filter failure versus information overload, I love that one, and approaching both the mind and the internet with curiosity. In Mahabir's words, he says, the day I met my living guru, my life changed forever. From that day to this, the awareness of what I had found has never left me. And now, almost five decades later, that knowledge lives doubtlessly in me and in how I see. In this episode, we even took a pause in our recording for a brief meditation because we got so spaced out. So I invite you to do the same if that comes to you. It's a real doozy. I hope you enjoy. So welcome to the show, Maha. Thank you. (laughs) It's lovely to be here. Really lovely. Oh, yeah. You are just... um such an inspiring guy and been living in India for most of your life. And I really thought to do this episode a little bit differently because usually I'll ask guests to kind of give their backstory of how they came onto this path, which, you know, we could get into if the conversation flows there. But, you know, I don't want to give your age away, but you're pretty wise. You're a little bit older than me. (laughs) And I loved how when we were emailing about the show, you asked me, what am I looking for in life? So Mm -hmm. I thought to start this episode by offering that question back to you. What are you looking for in life? (laughs) All right. Um, Well, I will give away my age. Um, I'm the very first of the baby boomers. I uh, I was conceived the weekend my father came back from fighting Hitler's armies after five years. Um, and I am what I'm what the, the people in Holland call the victory baby. <laughs> so <laughs> that's that's how I began my life. Um, 
it didn't always go that way. It didn't feel like victory. <laughs> um, when I was in my teens, um, I felt like I was just drifting. I, I wasn't interested in anything. Um, I didn't feel like there was, I couldn't find a purpose. Um, and it was only when I ended up at university, um, a liberal arts university, um, that I really woke up. Um, and that was, uh, so that was the early 60s. Um, and uh, we started, I, I met people who had read the Upanishads. Um, and I started realizing that actually there was something out there. There were answers. Um, but at that point, it seemed like it was lost at some inaccessible point in the past that it had to be real, but it was it was gone. It was it was lost in some ancient past. Um, but then we started hearing that maybe there were real that these sages were still walking the earth. And um, I decided that I was going to make a go for it. And fortunately, um, I failed at your university <laughs> <laughs> in the Maritimes and ended up back in Montreal. Um, where there were lots in the 60s now. Um, the 60s were also starting to wake up um, in a way that was very interesting to me. There were a lot of teachers and yogis that came to Montreal and I was there to meet every one of them. And I was, by this point, I had a real sense of direction. I knew what I was looking for. Um, and I knew what it would be if I found it. Um, I had a name for it in my own head, but, but essentially, um, I wanted to find somebody who was actually living that, not just talking about it. And um, I knew that if I found that, um, that I would have found what I was looking for. And um, they do say, although I, I, I think I had thought it was a kind of an exaggeration that if you only meet guru once in your life, um, a real guru, that your life has changed forever. Um, and when I later, I remember somebody coming to some where I live in India, and um, and uh, they were only coming for a day or two. And I remember thinking, well, I remember thinking about that and thinking, well, if I had only met him that one day, would my life have been changed forever? And I would say absolutely, because from that day, I would never have forgotten that I met somebody like it was real. I actually knew that I had met somebody who's living it. Um, fortunately, I got to spend five, the best part of five decades with him. Um, and and um, he was different than I think. I mean, I don't know all the teachers, but the ones that I have seen, and I've seen a number of them, um, in the way that he taught and, th and thought about meditation, um, and what he would say is that meditation is, they talk about it in all the scriptures, but hardly any of them really describe what that is. Um, and um, he had been taught to meditate when he started meditating when he was seven years old. His guru came to live in his home, which is very unique, um, and uh, taught him to meditate at seven. And he'd been meditating since then um, and was a true master of meditation um, and so he began to take us into those spaces in meditation and describe for us what we were seeing 
as we were, he gave us those descriptions. Um, and I lived with that for five decades and it's become, it's, it's now, I would say my default state. It's, it's very, very, it's really home to me. Um, and, but along the way, um, also fortunate when I was back in Montreal, Montreal at that point was the financial capital of Canada. Um, and so in the mid sixties, um, I'm guessing there were probably not more than a dozen or two dozen computers in the whole of Canada. And I remember thinking these are going to change the world I live in. And if I don't understand them, I'll be living in a world that I'm increasingly out of touch with. But if I do, it will open doors for the rest of my life. Um, and that, that turned out to be true. I was very fortunate that I had an ability to a talent to be able to do that in those days. Um, and it, it, it was a great gift to me. Um, by the end of my earning, I was making, I guess in today's dollars, I was working as a contract consultant in today's dollars, probably a couple of hundred dollars an hour. Um, and, um, and that allowed me, and, and also because of that kind of work, I could come and go from India for the first decade after I met my teacher and, um, and get back and do some contract work and save enough money to retire. And then I got a very nice, um, uh, I got a very nice inheritance and I thought I was set for life um, until, <laughs> until I wasn't, <laughs> until the late nineties when the person who was managing my finances managed to lose most of it. <laughs> Suddenly I was left looking at a very uncertain future. Um, uh, both whether I would be able to have enough money to really remain in India and also uh, with the looming question that um, I never felt like, I mean, things can change and we know that. And I always felt that I didn't want to be, I didn't want to make myself dependent on things that change. I felt the one thing that you can really be certain about changing in a positive way is what is your own mind in that sense. I wouldn't say mind now, but that's the way I thought about it. Um, it's a bit different than that in the way that I think about it, <clears throat> but um, which we'll get to. Um, so this was the late 90s. Actually, this was the early 2000s, and I ended up back in Montreal for a year. And this was the first year of broadband internet. And I remember thinking again, this is going to change the world. And if I understand this, it'll open doors for the rest of my life. <laughs> a little shorter now than it was when I was looking at that in my early 20s. Um, but still um, a necessary thing. And I understood it would be a remarkable place for studying, for developing new professional skills. Um, and for eventually, although it was not visible then, uh, the potential for earning online seemed quite clear to me then. Um, and so I started, I felt like this was, this was my path to maintaining the kind of freedom that I have always wanted to live. It's really interesting to like hear the expression of you as a young person in the 60s, mm. where the, you use the words, you wanted to find purpose and wake up and like how 
and we're going to get into the topic of time, but just how timeless that is. And um, your story is interesting and unique in the sense of like having financial independence or the idea of financial freedom and then losing that all. And like, I know we're going to carry on with the story, but I just want to go back to that moment where you lost or you appeared to have lost all of your money. (laughs) And I know in the world that we live in right now, that's a lot, that's a, that's a real big, a very real issue that a lot of people of all ages face is the the crisis of of not having enough money. So in that moment, after years of already meeting your teacher and meditating deeply and contemplating deeply, what was that experience of uncertainty when you lost, you know, your your plan essentially for being in <laughs> India? Well, I mean the money. Money only represents um, financial freedom. There, there's, there's, a, there, there's a definition of money that I've always liked, and I think of it, it really as stored money or saved money, not just earned money. Um, so stored money is like stored time. What you've done is you've, is you've taken your time and you've put it and you have, um, you have worked to put money away and you've, so you have time stored that you can buy back. Um, and so, so having, having the financial means to what, what it meant for me at that point was that I no longer felt like it, I meant, it meant that the kind of freedom that I was used to living, um, I might no longer have the means to do that. Um, at that point, that was stressful really. Um, I didn't, I didn't, I can't say that I was stressed. I certainly wasn't stress-free at that time. I would think of it differently now because I see things much more clearly now. I think, I think the thing that I saw, I saw again, was a doorway to that kind of freedom, which was, which was not going to, which wasn't going to be so dependent on me actually having something in a bank account or at a brokerage, but rather skills that would be valuable so that I wouldn't, so that I wouldn't be dependent on something that could change like that again. Um, And um, it, and I spent the next two decades, well, uh, on average from that day to this, which is now 22 years roughly, on average, two hours a day. I mean, on average, seven days a week. Um, some days more, some days less. But just studying. I love to study now, um, and um, I I studied in a way that I wanted to find ways to give myself not only financial independence, but the kind of freedom that gave me freedom from having to to be to, to have somebody else own my own my time. That. I have lived my life to be, and I've been able to meditate. Uh, my time has really been my own for the last five decades. I mean, it's a unique privilege. Um, it's something that's easier to do in India, where um, as a Canadian, um, you know, with the means that we have to be able to live in India, it, it I mean, it's much easier in that way. And um, I mean, it's a beautiful country to live in. But it was important to me to have those skills that if I had to be back in Canada, 
I would be able to pick up from there as well. So, so to me, um, the way that I think about it, it depends on what your goal is in life. If you really want to, if you really, if anybody who's listening to this is really serious about wanting to go deeply into this process of really understand, really realizing who you are and living that, then you need to have the time to do that. You need to really own your own time. Um, and there, and I thought about because I was faced with that situation. I thought about it a lot. And while I was thinking about it, I wanted to think about it in a way that I could teach other people how to see what I what I learned as I as I went along. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a very interesting thing that happened to me. Around 2005, I got a message on LinkedIn asking if this was the same person that had that I Don DeBell, the person that I was, um, that we had had a common interest in meditation. And this was somebody that I had taught to meditate back in the early 1980s, I think 1980, 81. He had taken classes from me for a year and we had had an amazing connection. And when I came to India, I I connected him with somebody else I knew, but then his life changed and we lost touch for almost, uh, I mean, for almost 25 years. And then suddenly there he was on LinkedIn again. So we, by that point, there was, voice there was these voice over the internet phones so i would call them and we talk pretty regularly and when i got back to canada i went back to get a new visa we talked a few times so he had gone on it he had gone on and by this point he was a senior change management consultant at ibm so in our last conversation he mentions to me that um he's now in his mid-50s it's his second marriage his first wife has died of MS, um, and he now has an eight-year-old child who um, he says he's going to take care of her for as long as she wants to be around, but he's not going to be, he doesn't want to be working for IBM for the rest of his days. So he says, if I decide to do that, would you be interested in, in, in partnering in a consulting business with me? <laughs> it was a very surprising request. Um, and, but it, I mean, you're talking about earning it, you know, those kind of levels that I had been earning at. I'd been out of that world for decades. Afterwards, I started thinking about it. And I was thinking, well, the value to me in my own mind was very clear. But what my, what my question was to myself was, what's the value to him? Like, I've been completely out of that world. I, I'm not familiar with the things that he's doing um and i thought about our conversations and our conversations had all been about change they'd all been about change and i had been meditating on that which never changes at that point for more than three decades um and i thought and and i understood in a way that i would like to talk about the va- like the real value of meditation. I mean, not not just for going inwards, but as something that um, if you want to be financially free, um, there's a way of thinking about this, which is a doorway um, into what you need if you really want to own your own time. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting that this fellow here, he was 
what was he the director of change or or what was the change he's a senior change management the consultant. change the change management consultant which is very interesting because here you are you've spent decades studying the change list the unchanging yes and i'm i'm wondering if you can just speak to a little bit from like the spiritual lens or the vedic standpoint of time because time and money are like one of the most fleeting changing things in our human consciousness in our perception of this human experience so how do we reconcile this like very changing quickly changing aspect of being alive whilst also diving into our experience as meditators moving towards the source of the unchanging they're not separate is the way that my teacher would always say that. And again and again, he would say that to me. Um, and from the early days, he would say, like, you have, to, you have to be financially independent. And he himself, um, <laughs> he himself was, uh, uh, was a father with five children. He had, he had done all of that. He had done it. And uh, he made us very aware of that and made us, made sure that we, you know, the, that we that we were all in some way or another understand the need for independence, and I understood that from the earliest days. I, I would just I would just say simply that that they're the I, that they're not separate, and we know that. I really don't think of things in the way that you framed it, <laughs> which is why I'm which is why I'm struggling with that well, question. <laughs> because I try to frame it in the way that like you know, I've gotten stuck before thinking of listeners okay. who might get stuck because for a sadhak or a spiritual seeker, and like, right. I also love this about the teachings that like, we do need to be financially independent. It's pretty obvious, especially in the year right. 2022. But like, it's kind of this constant back and forth with someone that's living in a material world. And we have to experience the flow of change but yet we desire that state of unchanging. And I loved how you used the words, the doorway to freedom. So I'm just wondering how we can reconcile that in our experience as yogis or sadhaks or jiyasus, like we're the ones mm. that really desire it. And I want to put all my attention on it. And like, I love that you're giving your explanation of how you manage to create the skills and to be to mm. live your life the way you are but i just want you to speak more to that because well, <laughs> it is something that goes back and forth in the mind right okay i mean it's a much deeper question than the one you're asking in a way um, at least in the way that most people are thinking about it um, they're really not separate they're not separate in the way that we think but as yogis I don't, I don't think there's really a way of answering that question by, by separating them. You, you really want to understand that um, the importance of if this is what you want to do, then you have to own, this is a path. You have to own your own time. If you don't have the time to do this, then, it, then you won't be able to do it. All of your time will be occupied with just taking care of your body um, and it shouldn't be that way. The, like taking care of your body should be a simple thing. And there, and there, and once, so once you're free on that level, then you don't have to pay attention to that. But if you're not, if you haven't managed that, 
then it becomes a constant struggle. And that's the struggle that a lot of spiritual people have, really, is they spend so much. Of, so then there's karma yoga and there are different ways of thinking about it. But, but for somebody who really wants to devote their time to meditate and go deeper, you have to own your own time. It's just, it's that simple. And um, I would say in different ways, that's been, that's certainly been the message that I have received from, you know, one of the great meditation sages um, that you have to own your own time. And he, you know, he found ways of doing that while bringing up five children, while working, doing all of that. Um, he found ways of doing that. Like he, and it, it was, I can tell you, I know his story pretty well, and it was not easy. We have much, much, much easier ways of doing that, aside from the fact not having to have five children. <laughs> is... Yeah. In this world, I mean, I know yes. it's like this in India, and it's been like this for decades, but it just seems like in this day and age, like in, in Western culture and mindset, spirituality is not something that's ele like elevated or celebrated. It's kind of like a second or side or like thing that's separate from mainstream society. Like we live in a world where you actually have to work really hard just to take care yeah. of your body. And it's you don't. But okay. people well, do. it appears that way, <laughs> you know, and I'm speaking from experience. Right. OK, here. so here's here, here's the thing. A lot of people have an idea about spirituality. For me, that idea probably doesn't. It comes from things we've read, ideas that we've heard from other people. I'll tell you, I've meditated for five decades and I don't think of myself as a spiritual person. I think of myself as somebody who wanted to actually know I wanted to be free from death. I wanted to be completely, totally free. Um, and that's not spirituality. That's the, I mean, it's spoken of in that way. It's framed in that way. It's something so, but I think to frame it as spirituality is, I wouldn't say wrong, but it gives kind of a description where there's already um, a lot of baggage. Um, and I don't write to descriptions that we have are fundamentally important to how we think about things. So to give you an example, um, a lot of people want to know, where does consciousness come from? Typically, the descriptions we have are the wrong descriptions, really. So what we see is that consciousness seems to appear from deep sleep, which we think of as unconscious how if you ask the question how can that which is conscious appear from that which is unconscious you realize that maybe it's the wrong description if consciousness that state that consciousness appears from in everything that we know about ourselves and what we perceive when we're conscious and all of that appears from a state that we call unconscious I would say a better description would be, um, a better description is that it must appear from that which is subtler and deeper than consciousness, but is unknown to consciousness. Because it's not known to consciousness, then consciousness says it, it must be unconscious, but it's just not known to consciousness. That is what you wake up to in meditation. That's what, that's always there. It's just that we're not, we haven't learned to 
we haven't learned to see what's already there. We haven't learned to see in that way. And so the world that you're talking about, where people are talking about being spiritual, is a world where people are looking for things within the domain of what we know in the waking state. And it's not there. But if you don't take care of what's going on in the waking state, if you don't make yourself resilient to change and able to adapt to change, then you may not be able to take the time to go deeply into that, which if you really want to know what that is, that takes time to, to mature. Mm -hmm. And as it begins to mature, you begin to really recognize it and you become established in that way of seeing. You need to have the time to do that and to have the time to do that. You've got to get control over your own time. And to divide the one state from the other is a description of the waking state, right? And, and so these descriptions of the waking state that we have are useful and that they, they have been they've been taught to us for taking care of our bodies for for learning to be able to do that so that we can so that so that ideally we can do the kind of things that we want to do so that we have the time to be able to enjoy or 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 follow whatever it is that we that we want but if all of our time is occupied with with the 9 to 5 things or the 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 morning to night just fully occupied then that deeper state is what we want to get to and that mm -hmm. well I, that brings me to another question um okay. you spoke about building resilience for change which i think yes for me i've been practicing meditation for nine almost nine years now and i would say that's probably the biggest external benefit if you will or like thing that's happened in my life because of meditation that I have um, developed a deeper resilience or capacity to mm. observe change rather than get involved in change. Right. And and when right. you when you spoke about the doorway to freedom, which I just I just love that language, is is that doorway <laughs> meditation? There's no other doorway. That, yes, I can. Yes, I can tell you how I think about it. Um, it's the simplest and deepest way to think about uh, it is something that I've heard my teacher say again and again, but there was one time that he said it, that recent, I mean, you know, about five years ago, um, that struck me and just kind of stopped me to really reconsider what I had understood and say many times as he's leading us into meditation, don't try to control your thoughts, just let them come and go. Just, you know, treat them like children playing in the ground. Treat them like hair growing on your head. You don't try and stop the hair growing in your head. Why would you try and stop your thoughts? Um, but this one time, there was somebody who'd come from America um, who had had a private interview with him. And, and uh, after the interview, he was talking about that conversation. And he said um, that, uh, that Sonu uh, had been talking about how um, in America, people are wanting to learn to meditate now, but there's always this problem that they feel like they can't control their thoughts. So he said this one thing. He said, you will never control your thoughts. You can try for 100 years, whether you're realized or not, but you will never control your thoughts. 
Wow. And it had never occurred to me in five decades <laughs> that I would reach that state. And those thoughts that I think that, I mean, I hadn't tried to control my thoughts for a decade, but I hadn't thought about it in that way. And it made me start to, it made me start to watch much more carefully what's going on. And it turns out that that's really interesting. And it's a really, really interesting way to think about meditation. So if you just let your thoughts come and go, you'll, you'll begin to notice that the thoughts appear as if seemingly from nowhere. The thoughts, the memories, the feelings, the imagination. I, I, I mean, I would say it can't be nowhere. <laughs> and it's not your psyche. And it's not anything that Freud said. And it's not anything that neuroscientists say, it's you. Um, but it's beyond the border of waking state mind. So because again, the, the waking state mind will describe that as unknowable. It is unknowable to the waking state mind, but it's not unknowable to where you can begin to see from in meditation. So these thoughts appear, some of them, they just drift through and they come and they go. Some of them don't. Why am I like, why are these thoughts coming? I, I just said to, right? So, or, or why am I, where did that thought come from? Or why did that person, right? A million thoughts come. So there's this other part of the mind that's trying to make sense of things. And we, until I really sat and watched it this way, I just thought of it as the mind. I won't use many Sanskrit terms, but these ones are useful. In Sanskrit, they have they have words for this these two parts of the mind, sankalp and vikalp. So kalp or kalpana means imagination. And sankalp means that imagination that appears from that space which is unmoved, undivided. And that, if you want a description for where those thoughts come from, what your waking state mind will see is, <laughs> although it will say it's nothing, but that state is unmoved. Right? There's no, it's it's a it's a state where it seems like nothing because there's no motion in there. And the mind only sees change, really. If if nothing is changing, the mind doesn't really, there's nothing going on in the mind. So these thoughts appear from there, from sun kalp, the imagination that appears from that state that's unmoved, and vikalp. Vik, so kalp again, it's it's again imagination. So imagination, which so the v means to divide, to create division. So what you're doing is you're, that mind is making cause and effect. It's saying if these thoughts appear, I'm seeing the effect. What's the cause? And it keeps looking for a cause, but when it looks for a cause, it doesn't see one. <laughs> and I, I remember my teacher saying one time, if you've been looking for all of these decades for a cause and you still haven't found one, can't you understand that it's not there? <laughs> I mean, these are very insightful kind of moments, really, that you they stick and you remember them. So, and and... And it's you need to remember that you can't control either the thoughts that appear or this part of your mind is trying to make sense. That's what it's been taught to do. It's been taught to make sense. 
And that's a part of the mind that we identify with. We don't identify with the thoughts that just appear, but the part of our mind that's trying to make sense of things, that's who we think we are. But if you just let both of them come and go, and you can do that in meditation, what you notice is that there's someone there watching. That's who you are. That's when they talk about the watcher or the sakshi or the seer. That, when that becomes mixed with the, with a sense maker, it seems like that's who I am. But in meditation, that's what it means to become free from the mind. It doesn't mean that the mind is not there. It means that you're actually free from the mind, and you're just watching. And then, and when you, and if you pay attention to what that watcher is. It's actually not a watcher. Its nature is just pure awareness. It's just, it's awareness that's, right? So it's awareness. It's aware of the thoughts coming and going. So I, I love I love how you're beautifully describing meditation. But I have, I have a question about when we're in, when I'm in deep meditation and I am, uh, experiencing the thoughts coming and going the mind trying to make sense um it flowing in and out and i'm aware of the observer or i'm aware that i am yes. the observer i'm observe i'm the unchanged yes. i can dip into the that unchanging awareness yep my question is is that the whole is that awareness <laughs> the paramatma the supreme self or is there a I know it's not levels, so maybe this isn't coming out clearly, but no, there is. Yes, I can say, I can answer that. Okay, good. You know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> yes. So, so yes. So, um, at the point that you're describing, that's the doorway into what, into the answer to your question. Um, what happens when you meditate, as you, as you rec, as you really begin to clearly recognize this one who's watching this awareness, this Sakshi, this is who I am, that, that begins to mature. As that begins to mature, what you recognize, what, what begins to happen is you become established there. It becomes your default state. And, and you really notice when you start to get mixed because it has a very different quality to it. And so you become more and more established there and as you become established there, then you be then you can begin to observe the deeper part of that, and that the space that the thoughts are appearing from is not nothing, but it can't be thought about with the mind. It has to be known from that same one that is observing, is is the awareness in meditation, and it. And it's the very same space, like like the nature of that awareness is the same space that the that the thoughts are appearing from. That is where the unity is. Um, and all of this waking state that seems so real and so concrete, it's a long dream in in the most real sense. If you think of what you experience when you're in a dream, if you, if you, that everything in the dream is just imagination, but when you but when in that imagination you seem to be 
the one in the dream, the hero, the one who is experiencing feelings and emotions and preferences and and a sense that the outcome of the dream is important and your actions in the dream will are important because they're going to affect the outcome of the dream and they will. Um, all of that seems as real as this does now. From the perspective of the of the dream mind, in the same way from the perspective of the waking, because the dream mind, the one who's dreaming or the one who's who seems to exist as me in the dream, is lives in that sees and lives in that dream world of imagination. Well, I'm thinking of myself. So last night I had a dream that I was being chased and I kept having yes. to hide in the dream. And but I, I wake up in the morning and I have the awareness of myself in the dream and the awareness of myself as waking up is that same awareness. But yet in the waking state, uh, the mind wants to make meaning out of the dream. It wants to make meaning out of the yes. waking state because somehow that's like the human conditioning or the human mind thinks to, I have to make meaning out right. of everything. But yet. Is it that's is what it, we've been trained to do? Right. But the act the the experience of meditation uh, is kind of the untraining, right? It's the it's the absorbing or or no. <laughs> you know, I see what you're saying. What we need, um so so some of the descriptions that we have in the waking state don't give us a clear understanding of what we need to know in I mean some some of them don't even give us a clear description of what we need to know in the waking state. But in our cultures, in in West in in sort of the West, um, we have not uh, until recently. We never we really haven't studied deeply these inner spaces, and you know those yogis, um, they didn't have the internet, they didn't have television, you know they spent they spent their decades just often sitting and meditating and exploring those inner spaces and documenting what you know for if if they if they could write or or record it it was doc some of it was documented there in ways that was not very clear and often not translated very well so so the answer to the question you're answering actually is not it's not in the waking state as you begin to become more and more established in that awareness that awareness has the ability so it's its nature is awareness, um, but it has the ability to act through the mind. It's not just it's not just watching, really. So, what happens with the mind if you once you watch it is it's pretty mechanical. It has ideas about it has ideas about how things are and how things work. It has ideas about the kind of outcomes that it wants, um, and it doesn't do very well. Um, when the ideas about how things work and the kind of outcomes that it wants don't match up properly. And it struggles with that and that causes stress and anxiety and all of that. And what you want is to become free from that. From the position of the one who's just watching, there's always an opportunity. When you see an, when you see an opportunity to make a difference, that's the reason I wanted to connect with you because 
it's clear to me that that's already acting through you, right? Mm -hmm. Just in the ways that I can mm -hmm. kind of see the way that you think and the. You said something. You said that the awareness isn't just kind of, uh, you know, like because I think the way that I explained it was that the awareness is just there watching everything. But you said you just mentioned something about the awareness going through you or something. Is that where we can come back to the point of that? You know, the changing and the unchanging are not separate. Like when I'm thinking for going back yes. to owning, owning our time and the flow of money yeah. and all these things, but actually that the actually awareness was, yeah. is there through everything. You can you can act from that awareness, mm -hmm. but you're not compelled to act. So, so you but but what it does is it gives you a very different way of seeing, and it's a way of seeing that is from it's not in the field of change. It's so um, it sees things in different ways. It doesn't, it's not bound in those kind of preferences or, or so you, you just, you see differently. And when you, you see with clarity, what, what people, when we talk about uncertainty, what we feel like we need is certainty in life. Like we, we need to have some understanding about what the future will look like so we can, plan for it and we need to have and if there's no certainty then that creates anxiety it creates stress and it, so the problem is not the problem is actually not uncertainty the problem is that we're looking for certainty when there is none <laughs> yeah so that's right? the problem what's the solution <laughs> clarity and that is what that state of awareness gives you mm. it gives you a different it gives you a much deeper way of seeing when you're very focused on a certain kind of certainty, what happens is you have an idea of where that is. You're trying to solve a problem. You think you know what the problem is and you think you know what the solution is. And if you, you can't get to a solution, then you go into this loop. Because, because this sense-making mechanism is very simple. It's not as sophisticated as we imagine. It just it keeps looping back on itself because it doesn't, and that's what causes stress. That loop, you feel your, your energy going down, you feel it becoming more anxious. And what's happening at that time is you're losing the any clarity that you might've had. And when there's no certainty, the very thing you need is clarity. If you're free from that, then the situation, you, you will see you will see in in a in a very very different way. You, what you'll see you, you you'll see in a way that you see opportunities. I wouldn't say exactly solutions, but you. This is what I'm hearing is that the uncertainty appears to be the problem, but through the practice of meditation and deep contemplation, having the time to do that, then we come to the place of clarity where um, we begin to see in a different way and opportunities perhaps present themselves that maybe we're there but when we were in that wheel of of trying to get out of uncertainty we were unable to see those potential opportunities or potential spaces mm -hmm. for our own growth and unfoldment because it is all awareness right it is all source coming through us so when we mm -hmm. are able to cultivate that clarity through meditation life can can appear in a different way. Is that 
correct? <laughs> I mean, I mean that's true. But what 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 I would say the the problem isn't uncertainty though. The problem is the idea that uncertainty exists. Mm, okay, because right? uncertainty so, is always so, there, so we can't make it a problem. But um, the idea of that, the idea or the concept in the mind that there's going to be certainty, there's going to be a solution to this uncertainty in the waking state, just the idea of that, yeah. the attachment to the concept right. of certainty and uncertainty is where we get yes. caught. And, and, yeah, and, and in the field of change and the world we live in is changing faster and faster, you can understand that the idea that anything is going to stay stable including your own ideas everything is changing but from the perspective of the unchanging you you watch how change happens in a very different way you bring a different perspective to change um, and that perspective is not is not wound up in change you're no longer the one in the dream who is who is trying to solve the problem in the dream right you're you're just you're just watching and and in that watching you'll see opportunities um you'll see you if you're very focused on solving a problem in a particular way there are many things that you're not seeing right what what's happening is you're filtering you're filtering things that will miss because you have defined the solution that you want and that mm -hmm. solution isn't there Mm -hmm. right? like, it's imagination. So, the, the imagination creates the problem. The imagination creates the solution. Exactly. Yes. 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 Exactly. Okay. Well, no, the imagination doesn't create the solution. It imagines that right. there is a solution. Right. Yes. Which causes us to yeah. suffer. Right. right. Yes. So where do we go from here? Well, exactly. Where do we go from here? So to back to owning our own time and the importance of yes, that. Yes, that's what as, I was thinking. As sadhaks, yeah. <laughs> okay. So if we want if we want to talk about how to own your own time, I would touch on maybe go back to that moment I was describing for you where I had met with this old friend of mine that I had taught to meditate and I had that question, so what what made me valuable to him? was that I had, we had talked about change. Um, and that was his business, change management. And I had been meditating for decades on that which number changes. And that brought about a very different perspective on the nature of change. So if you think about the time and age in which we now live, everybody from businesses to professionals to ordinary people, to governments, everybody's struggling with change and uncertainty. So you and I, and probably any anybody who was born before the beginning of this millennium, um, we entered a world in which we were given a map, and that map said, this is what the world is going to look like. And it was a pretty good map. Um, if you got skills, if you developed you know, if you if you educated yourself in this way, um, and uh, if you were well directed, you could live a good life. Um, you still had to find your way. That was only a map, um, but it was but it it was a it was a a pretty clear idea, and and on the whole, it it gave us 
an idea of how to how to how to educate ourselves, how we could live our lives. That map is gone. That map no longer exists. Um, and that is the thing that everyone struggles with, not just these children that are growing up now that were never had a map, but those of us who thought we had. Everybody needs to understand how to negotiate the world we live in, which is changing and increasingly uncertain in ways that we cannot understand with our mind. We can't, there's no models for it. Never mind even, you know, understanding where, what those models might be, because changing in so many ways. So what I've, what I, I thought deeply about that since then, um, how important it is, how valuable it is, um, and what and how to how to think about that. If you want to really help people understand, then they have to get to a state of clarity. And the only way I the only way I know of, and I'm pretty sure the only way there is, is the way that we've been talking about to get to that state where you're where you get free from sankalp and vikalp, from where you and and you watch, you see in a different way, and you get a kind of clarity. When you have that clarity, you will you will understand it. You you have that, um, and and the more you become established in that state, the more you'll be able to show it and teach it to others. Um, that's the thing everybody needs. This is something that's that's extremely valuable, um, and. Um, can be taught in that way. And it doesn't mean that you have to monetize every person that you come in contact with. What it means is that there'll be, way, there'll be ways of doing that um, if you think about it in that way. Once you have the means that you need to take care of yourself, then you can offer what you have to anybody freely or in ways that they can afford. Um, but you want to get to that level in one way or another, I mean, if you really want to own your own time, then you have to find ways to do that more and more virtually, online, not in the physical world. If you're in a physical world, you have to travel here and there. You, you're bound, you're bound by, the, by the constraints of the location where you are to whatever you can access from there. Um, it doesn't mean that you're only virtual. It doesn't mean that you're only online. It means that you have, you actually live in a hybrid world and you can choose where you want to be. I mean, if for anybody who's interested, I could go deeply into this. I've thought a lot about it. I'm just trying to skim the surfaces of it so that you can get a, get a sense of what it is. But the more that you're bound by the constraints of the physical world, the more you'll find that that eats up your time a lot. And also, there, there are just so many limits there that don't exist in this way. We are talking across half a planet, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? Um, yeah. So the moment that, the moment that you're in this, you're, you, you, know, you have a voice that can reach the whole world. Um, and, then, and, then, and then you want to think about, okay, so how... 
how do I use that? How do I, right? And, and, and so the thing about this world of change and uncertainty and the thing about the internet is that it doesn't, it doesn't act in the way that the physical world does. Um, it's much more interesting just to explore it. And I mean, the wakey state does work that way when you learn to see it in this way. So I thought about it in, in three ways. I, one of the things that you hear people say about the, about the problem we have is there's information overload. And the way that I've heard it really talked about it, the problem isn't information overload. It's filter failure. Like we're not filtering properly for what we want. So the way that I filtered was um, I used the internet as a way to kind of explore ways of developing the kind of skills I'm talking about, the ways of kind of being able to take care of my financial needs without having to be constrained by those kind of bounds. Um, and those are those are professional skills that you can develop. They're not they're not as difficult as you would think. Um, I mean, I say professional, they're just ways that you can earn easily. I looked for things that I would be interested in for, for a decade. I'm interested in change. I'm interested in how things change. I'm interested in the way that people think. Um, so that definitely was a focus for me. It needed to, in some way, I didn't need to exactly define, be able to develop things that would be useful for me as a, to be able to communicate that. And it needed to be simple. Um, in other words, if it was too complicated, I would put it aside. And those were the basic filters that I used. And what I would, what I noticed about the internet is that I would find something that seemed to fit that, and I would start to explore it. And it was like going into a room, and that room had other doors, but those doors weren't visible to me until I went through that door. And when I went into that room, if it smelled funny, then I would kind of go, I don't like the smell of this room. There are a million other doors. If you think about things in that way, so when we have an idea that that we want some sort of certainty about outcomes, especially in, a, in an age of uncertainty, um, we're looking at it the wrong way. If you think about it, so if you think about it in the way that we think of the internet, that you kind of enter, say, a website, like a room, and that website's got links and they go to other places and those places go to other places. Until you, until you do that, you don't actually know what journey you're on. But in that journey, you find things that, that are extremely interesting and valuable. And that's the way we have to think about the world we live in. And we can't think about that with this constrained waking state mind. That's the way this awareness is able to work. Like it's not constrained by that. What, what you see is you see something with that awareness that has, it has something that the awareness recognizes that the mind may not. And it's like you, it's like, it's like a link or it's like you enter a room with, that has other doors in it. And that's how that awareness works. It's not, it, there, it's hard to describe because you're you're trying to describe that to the waking state mind, and um, it's something that I've explored. But I've only but I've only really explored it in this way, like really watched it in this way, it, 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 in a way that I can describe it for the past couple of years, and I'm still learning to describe it. Which is why when you ask me these questions, I can struggle with them a little bit. But yeah, so you had a question. Mm -hmm. 
I want to circle back. You know, I love the way that you're describing about, you know, the internet and also that it sounds like you approached your skill development and your um, discovery of the internet with a sense of curiosity, which I I just love yes. the sense of curiosity as the name of the show is the curious yogi. And I really feel like mm. the way that I, like uh. what I'm getting from this conversation is that the way that I am approaching my curiosity of the human experience yes. and the unchanging okay, so let... state is a, yeah, yeah, I want to say something about that. You asked me about how that awareness works. It's exactly like that. And what happens is the the awareness has an it doesn't think the way the mind thinks. What happens is it becomes interested in something, it becomes curious about something. Like where it, if I'm not thinking those thoughts that are appearing, where are they coming from? Mm-hmm. Right? And mm-hmm. and that kind of interest, that kind of curiosity takes you deep into the space where the mind can't go. Right. Mm-hmm. But that kind of interest, as you're sitting watching the thoughts going through, there can be a thought that you that you can be interested in or curious mm-hmm. about that you begin to follow. And you mm-hmm. you can't define exactly what that's going to be. It's just that the interest of the curiosity begins to draw you there and you follow it where it goes, mm-hmm. just the way you can follow a, a link in the internet. It's, yes. very, it's a very nice analogy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So there you are. Yeah. That's curiosity. Yes. Sorry, I interrupted you. but That's, that's okay. Right. I love curiosity. Yes. And I think it is a good analogy. And I know we could go on and on, but we do need to wrap up. So I'm wondering that I just have two last questions and if, you know, we can yes. work, we can try to keep them concise. Okay. If you, if, I'll do my best. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if, when thinking of the listeners, our curious listeners, what last words of wisdom would you leave us with? Their words of advice in just a few sentences if you had to sum it up for us to take away from this conversation. You have to own your own time if you if you want to live a life of freedom. And that's really possible. I, w- I would say, you know, it's, it's the thing that I found and I know beyond doubt that it's real. Um, and it's the most worthwhile thing that there is. It's the one thing that that really transcends all of this field of change. And if you really want to be able to live freely, if you really want to understand what freedom is, then it's really, it's from that state where that awareness really matures. Beautiful. And my final question is I'm circling all the way back to my very first question I asked you, which has gone unanswered, which is Mahabir, what are you looking for in life? (laughs) <laughs> nothing i found it <laughs> <laughs> perfect what 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 was i looking for right in this no, moment I, no actually no that's it's, it that's it, a perfect that's a perfect bookmark to pause this conversation <laughs> okay. and end yeah. so yeah. thank you so much for sharing your okay. wisdom and your insight yeah. and being here on the show i really appreciate it 
Thanks for listening to this episode of A Curious Yogi Podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, please leave a review on iTunes. It really, really helps the show reach more people. Or share on social, and of course, follow on your favorite podcast platforms so you don't miss an episode. I appreciate the love, and I appreciate you. Let's stay curious, connected, and keep walking the yogi's path together. In oneness and delight, this is Bobby signing off until next time.